Elephant Temple podcast weekly review. This week we're going to be reviewing three albums. The first one is going to be Carmen's 1973 epic, Fandango's In Space. The second one is going to be Blind Guardian's Nightfall in Middle-earth, released in 1998. And the third is going to be Pupil Slice's Mirrors, released in 2021. So Floyd, what do you think of Carmen? Can I just say... Pupil slicer. Do you think it's pupils in eyes or pupils in students? I always thought it was eyes, but now you said pupil, I just have this like awesome goosebumps kind of vibe. Yeah. I want it to be pupils like students, like some kind of murderous teacher, like the yeah. demon headmaster. Do you remember him? That was cool. That, that was, was such a good TV show. That was a creepy intro as well. Yeah. Uh, almost rivals 999. He looks like every government minister. <laughs> he does, yeah, yeah. <laughs> was that? Hey, no, that wasn't um, Peter Capaldi, was it? No, 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 it was, I mean, I'd be fucking lying if I'm even going to try and pretend I know what the guy's name is, but it's a... Jacob Rees-Mogg. He looks like Jack Straw, that's what I remember. Jack Straw, yeah. Really oh, like Jack, Jack Straw Rees-Mogg. Nice. But uh, yes, Carmen uh, Fandangles in Space. Um, I, I really enjoyed it. I think it was, uh, it was quite cool to hear uh, flamenco music infused with uh, that kind of that early... 70s prog rock style. Mm. There's some moments actually that actually really reminded me of uh, Opeth at points. I can see why. I think the, the title track was really good. There's one, there's even like a like a Tom G. Warrior kind of uh, at one point. It's <laughs> kind of cool. But yeah, it's uh, it was I fucking just just listened to it from start to finish because I noticed that quite a lot of the tracks had broken up in like trip titches and stuff. Mm. I think there was one track, which I can't remember the name of it, that was... It oh, was hilarious. The first one, is, it's split into A, B, and C. The Cante, the Veil, and the Reprise. Yeah, they've done it again for, is it the... Oh, Looking Outside My Window. Yes. Yeah, that split into three, and that was kind of cool. Kind of gave me slight Rush vibes, because Rush are kind of like progressive in the way they structure, you know, like several songs into one. Yeah. But no, I thought it was great. I thought you could definitely hear like the kind of um, sort of more Hispanic influence and... And the guitar sounded great. It's just, it's, it was kind of like perfect for the weather we have today. It is, yeah. Because it was just like, I listened to it again this morning, I was just with the sunbeam, and I was like, yeah, this is such a, such a cool fucking vibe. So I just kind of really dug it. And it's, uh, once again, it's cool to listen to something from a bit further back before my, uh, my existence on this uh, mortal coil. <laughs> but yeah, no fucking, uh, really good, actually. It was just, yeah, the drums... I thought were really great. I love the castanets. The castanets are really. It just like, sounds so clacky. fucking cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just love the clacking sound. I don't know. It's just, yeah, just a really percussive album in parts. Yeah. So I'm quite intrigued to hear what you've got to say because you, I'm guessing, know infinitely more about this band than I do because this was my introduction. I know somewhat more. It, was, it is one of my favorite bands. One of Shem's very, very favorite bands. Um, he goes absolutely mental when they're on in the car in the best way possible. Um, yeah. This so this whole album is like Fandangos in Space. It's kind of a concept album. Um, they, they love singing about gypsies, is something I've noticed, um, and it's like, so I don't know if anyone's seen, oh god, there was this, um, 70s, 80s cartoon that was, like, really similar to heavy metal, it was called, like, um, oh no, it was, like, Odyssey, it was, like, a Homer's Odyssey in space. Jason the Wheel of Warriors? No. Basically, like there was like one oh, child. Oh, I know the one you mean. It's really good. Oh, yeah. It's really good, and there's like this, there's these. It's all like the Greek gods, but they're in space. Fuck, I have zero recollection of that. It's really awesome. It's got like a really cool soundtrack, and the artwork is like really awesome, like heavy metal yeah. magazine style, and it's like really similar kind of vibe of like epic mythology in space. It's like it's like um. 
Oh my Ulysses God. 31. Ulysses, that's it, yeah. Ulysses 31. That's it. I just completely forgot the fucking main character of the Odyssey there. Damn. I need to go to university again. Um, yeah, it reminds me of that kind of like epic vibe in space. It's like people bullfighting in space. Yeah. Um, and like the actual music, I feel, is like super cinematic. Yeah. And vocally, it's really interesting as well as rhythmically really because yeah. you've got the Spanish guitar, you've got the castanets, you've got like actual um, flamenco like tap dancing yeah. happening, and you can hear like the like the patter, yeah. The patter, yeah. When they did that live, they actually got two dancers. They they had one of them was like in a relationship with one of their members too, and they used special contact microphones that they had on stage. Oh, sick. so contact microphones don't pick up air vibrations; they only pick up impact. So yeah. they would dance on these microphones so that you could hear the actual sound of the tap dancing, the, the flamenco yeah. style dancing, with their little castanets. So that's really cool. I thought it was a really cool idea. Shit, that's legit. It is it's, When I was looking up this band, so there's a lot of them, basically everybody bar the drummer was doing vocals. It's a John Glasscock, unfortunate name, <laughs> um, who was doing most of the bass work, was doing backing vocals, but everybody else is listed as doing lead vocals. There's loads of layering on the vocals. Yeah. And like, I don't know which one it is, but there is, there is a vocalist that has insane range. And yeah. like, he, he'll just be singing, and he'll just like sort of suddenly just sweep up. Oh, like, like a yelping sound. Yeah, yeah that's cool though. I, I like, like that. He's just yeah. doing that all the time, and it's just like it's really silly, but it's actually it actually works really well. Right. Like it's it's almost like they're taking the piss, but they're not. It's actually legit, really epic. It, it's it kind of remind me of like fucking King Diamond stubbed his toe. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a really sharp yelp, but now nah, like, it's cool. There's loads of like um oh my god I've forgotten all my musical terms. So there's loads of falsetto, but it sounds really yeah. good, and there's like a lot of vocal variation. Um, a really good thing to note is that all the Carmen albums were produced by Tony Visconti who was a collaborator with David Bowie. I read that, yeah, that's cool. Which is really cool. And I think they, they had some interactions with Bowie. One of the reasons, so the band only was, was extant between 1970 and 1975. Originally, I think they had seven members in the US and they came over to the UK and became a, a quintet, a four-member yeah. band. Um, and that's when they started working with Visconti. Um, and they only lasted five years because, as we were discussing earlier, was it Paul Fenton, his name? Yeah, that's what I've got written down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and he, he was, they were recording the Gypsies album, and he was riding a horse on the farm they were recording, and he fell down and broke his knee, so he couldn't drum properly for a really long time. But I do believe, um, I think it was Fenton afterwards, he joined, um, he played with T-Rex with Mark Bolan. And then David Bowie actually introduced them internationally because Bowie put on, not T-Rex, Carmen, he put them on on his Midnight Special. Um, oh man. John Glasscock went to join Jeff Tull. I read that, yeah. I quite like Jeff Tull as well. Quite... I quite like yeah. it's an absolute banger. Yeah, yeah Fenton played with Bowie's T-Rex and then like they kind of, he left but then started a covers band, well was in a covers band with loads of T-Rex ex-members. Yeah. So I think he's still maybe doing that if he's still alive. No offense. It's weird how there's kind of, you got that parallels between a Tom Cruiser who we reviewed last week in the sense that I had not really heard of this band yet, they've got all these fucking major connections. It's mad. Yeah, and you just don't know, because obviously I wasn't alive during that time, so I didn't, I wasn't privy to bands that weren't major, major bands. I mean, at the time, I think they, they might have been, because like, you've got Tony Visconti working with you and Bowie, like, introducing you internationally. And then, like, um, they had, they, well, I don't know if this was common, but they had six sound engineers on their album. Yeah. Which I feel like is a lot of people. 
sick sound engineers, but you can hear it. Like the actual, the sound production on this album is beautiful. Like everything is actually kind of um, properly arranged. Like the castanets over here, and then the guitars are here, and the vocals are going everywhere. And it's it's really like three D. Yeah. The way it's produced, and it honestly has aged so beautifully. It sounds really fucking crisp, like mm. super super crisp. Like you wouldn't think it doesn't have. It's weird. It almost doesn't sound that old. It sounds like like um like a midnight gospel soundtrack. Yeah. Like a soundtrack to an episode of like a really well produced television show for like people who like space and time and things like that. It is it is very surreal. But yeah, like there are actually a lot of albums that have aged really well from that era. I think because of like the nature of analog production, it's kind of hard to do. You kind of have to do a good job. And back then, record labels had so much money. Yeah. You could just throw so much time at things like this. Yeah, I think that's kind of uh, an unfortunate um, thing. There's lacking from the current music scene. Really, I mean, there's no real money in any sort of physical sales or or anything that would would have. Well, not guaranteed, but would have helped you become a large band back in the days. So it's kind of like, kind of like pissing in the wind. Yeah. Right now, I suppose for a lot of new bands. Ironically, it's easier to reach number one if you're an established band. So you need to have as many record sales to actually yeah. hit the top of the charts, which is I think why like Mogwai and bands like that are currently like in the UK top ten. Yeah. yeah. I think Architects had a number one album as well, mm. which is quite cool. I've still uh, apologies to the band and any of their fans. I've still never listened to a single Architects song. I actually oh. haven't either. No. Oh. I'm not checking my another like a metal call. Hollow Crown is a good album. That's yeah. a good name for, for an album. Like that name. That's good. Cool. One of the members of Carmen, um, David uh, Allen, he was the vocalist, electric guitarist, and flamenco guitarist. Um, I love how members are, are listed as being a flamenco footwork person. <laughs> <laughs> Which is brilliant. Obviously, this, this contains Mellotron for people who love Mellotron uh, or hate Mellotron. Basically, David got thyroid um, slash throat cancer in the 80s, but then he, he changed his name. He has a really interesting life. He changed his name to Hoosk Randall and became a sexual anthropologist and photographer. Hoosk. Hoosk. As Hoosk, Hoosk. He, published, he published five books in four languages. They were called Revelations, Rituals of Love, The Customized Body, Piercing, Radical Desire and Bizarre Rubber, a photographic fantasy catalogue for fetish designers. Yes. In 1996, he married and changed his name again to David Randall Goddard and established a successful family photographic studio, Family Portraits. Yeah, that is, that's, that's some career path. <laughs> that is incredible. Yeah. I love that he's gone from like sexual anthropology to like a wholesome family. <laughs> Like I'm stuck with Husk. I think that sounds cool. Husk, Mr. Husk. Yeah, how's that? How's that spelled? H O U S K. Oh yeah, that's, that's cool. Husk. It sounds. You could be Scottish or German. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, one of the cool facts I read about this band was that they opened for uh, their opening act for Blue Oyster Cult and uh, mm. Elo and stuff. And uh, I actually really like Blue Oyster Cult. It's one of the seventies or even late sixties, I suppose. Blue Oyster Cult. I yeah, think. don't feel the Reaper is like yeah. an absolute banger. And I remember when you got into them, you couldn't stop listening to it, right? No, oh, fucking, it's fucking burning, 
I'm burning, I'm burning, I'm burning with you. Like fucking, I must have listened to that about a hundred times on repeat. They played, I'm pretty sure they played Hellfest one year and people just went mental. And obviously they played Don't Fear the Rope at last. So a lot of people just came right at the end. Yeah. <laughs> just to, and everyone was just rocking out to this song. It's so fun live. They're a really good live band. That reminds me of the time when Europe was at a festival. And oh, I, think they, I remember that summer. I think they opened and closed with a Final Countdown. <laughs> I remember there was a summer I went to six festivals and Europe was at every single one. <laughs> oh, fuck <laughs> <it up. laughs> They were just everywhere. They were at Bloodstock, they were at Sonosphere, they were at Hellfest, and you'd just like be, and then they'd, they'd, they'd just be them with like a marching bell. They'd, even like years after, they just always played Europe's Final Countdown constantly, and they'd have like these yeah. marching bands, and you'd just hear the trumpets, and everyone would just felt going do 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 do, and it's really. Did they ever show you that how I've learned how to play it on the stylophone? <laughs> oh, I'll have to bring that in one day. You showed it was like the little yeah. I love the stylophone so cool. I'll ask Miles if I can do a stylophone solo on the next album. Oh my god, you should! That would actually be legit really cool. Yeah, I might, I might do it actually. It's like, a joke, but I might have actually taken it seriously. You now. could do like Mongolian throat singing at the same time. Yeah, no. brilliant. Have you got any uh, particular favourite tracks on the? Uh, I oh, really man. like um, the first track, Valerius, because they're literally just singing about bullfights, which is. Yeah really cool and heavy and, and there's, there's one track, I can't remember which one it is, but I was listening to it in the car and I never picked up this lyric, but there is a lyric <laughs> where the guy sings, and an Arabic knife in your side. <laughs> but it's like really catchy, it's like, and an Arabic knife in your side, and that's the lyric. That's sick. And I was in a car, I just, I just turned around and I was like, what? It's what in Tales of Spain. Tales of Spain, there you go. I'm assuming yeah. it's about the Moorish invasion, so uh, hopefully they're not fash, but I don't think they are. Yeah. <laughs> I'm joking, by the way. <laughs> oh yes, this fash 70s frog Fash anti-moor band. Anti band. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure it's just like um, fantasy moors in space. I don't know. I hope. I really hope they're not like fuck the Arabs. I just think they're <laughs> hopefully being kind of romantic. I don't know. Yeah, we'll just uh, we'll, we'll give them the benefit of the doubt. You know, it's been I 50 years. I think it's years. been enough time, yeah. but I think most of them are dead. So. <laughs> First track was good, though. I think it really set the pace for the album because mm. it kind of took me back a bit because I, you know, I wasn't expecting. Obviously, the title track is Dancing, uh, the title, the Fandangles. album yes. is Fandangles in Space. That's so right. it was cool to actually hear that, you know, it was had that influence in the music. It's got 11 tracks, which is quite a lot, including, that's not including the free part, like the free parts within the free part track, so it's actually quite a meaty album. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just epic. It's really cool. They're doing, they're just, they're doing the thing where like, I'm assuming some of them, I think like, for example, Amaral, that sounds like a Spanish name, and the dude is doing actual flamenco. Like you can hear them doing the flamenco footwork in the in the songs, yeah. as well as the castanets. So it's just so it's really immersive. It reminds me a lot of like Jodorowsky's work, where he does his sort of like because he was raised in Mexico, I believe, or was it Spain? I think Spain, then they went to Mexico, and then they went to America, something like that. But like you can you can see that in Jodorowsky's work, where you have this like Spanish Mexican influence. Yeah. And I think at the time, in like the 70s and 80s, I don't know if that was a thing, but a lot of stuff I like from that time is inspired by those things, and I can really feel it in this album, it's super immersive, it's really sci-fi, I mean this is like, um, if Singer Jodorowsky's June never got made, this is kind of like the happy Spanish Ulysses 31 version, <laughs> <laughs> where Jodorowsky's just kind of in the corner, he hasn't had his DMT yet, yeah, it's great, it's really good. It's um. I will say though, I listened to it on Spotify and the track listen uh, is 
constructed in a way that's a big pet peeve of mine and all the oh, yeah. all, it's all in capital letters which yeah. just really irritates me I don't know why I can't explain why but I don't know it's just kind of, it's just kind of boomerish isn't it well, I mean, these guys are boomers. Yeah. <laughs> I can't blame them. But it was actually, it was a double CD. It was the, so I had to like pay attention to make sure I wasn't accidentally listening to the next album. Ah. Because it was uh, both of their, their first two albums. And they only had, what, three albums in total, was it? Or maybe more? I think it's three or four. Oh. This Gypsies, I've forgotten the rest now. They reformed as Widescreen, I think. That's a terrible life. name. Yeah. Widescreen. Yeah. That's they supported uh, Buena Vista Social Club. Oh, I, I didn't realise that was a band. Oh, they're quite a big band, yeah. I just, I literally thought that was like a, a movie or something. <laughs> 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 I've seen those. It's just such a strange collection of words. Is it like the Bengal Bicycle Club? But, Bombay Bicycle uh, Club. Is Nothing that a band? to do with that, yeah. Is that a band? Yeah. Why? Bombay Bicycle Club's better. They're an indie band, I think. But, like, yeah, they're so, an indie band. So, Bueno. Buena Vista Social Club. They're like a big. Um, what are they? They're, they're like, like a big Latin, Latin band. They like have lots of like all right. popular performance, but they're huge. They're like. Okay. Yeah. I'm really sorry. I don't know. Sorry. That, that music. I tell you what, though, because Shem was mentioning that some of the live performances are pretty like sick and electric, and I checked out a few of them, and I thought it was yeah, it was super impressive. And it's funny when you listen to the album, you're like, this is totally the sort of thing that would be so fucking cool live. Yeah. And just like and I had no clue about like the actual like flamenco dancing and that and being the incorporated. Yeah, yeah but that's super like that's kinda of blow my mind a bit. But yeah, just with the cast and nets and everything else it just I don't know, it's just such a it's quite a happy album. I thought yeah it's, it's pretty really joyful, yeah. 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 Even cool. like about being stabbed, it's like yeah <laughs> It kinda of reminds me of you know Spanish um, death grind band in Brujeria. They're like the complete antithesis to this band. <laughs> I, mean, I wonder what um, like some of our Portuguese and Spanish co-workers would think of this. This, I, I think they'd probably dig it. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. We should share it. Yeah. Huh. Well, that's common. Yeah, that's everything I would like to say about the album. I believe. I think it's a good album. If you like seventies stuff, check it out. If you don't, um, but you like sci-fi, maybe check it out. If you don't like any of those things, consider it. I just need to check out more shit from that decade, to be honest. I'm just so fucking uninformed, to be honest. There's, there's just, there's, it's kind of like metal in a way that it's kind of, I think so much music was produced during that time. Yeah. Go on. Everyone just listens to Sabbath. Like, that's, I love Sabbath so much. Metalheads. Yeah, metalheads are just like, Sabbath, Sabbath, and they are amazing, but there's just so much great music from the 70s that does not get a look in. There is a lot of stuff that I think people who like Sabbath would absolutely adore from the 70s. Because Sabbath is like a, one of the most famous bands from that era, man. Like, go check out these bands. Would you like say Sabbath. Metallica were like the successor to Black Sabbath in that regard? Because Black Sabbath were the bands that, you know, everybody kind of lords and ignores everybody else. I feel like Metallica is that band in the next generation. Like the 80s and 90s, so you know, oh yeah. fuck everyone else, like Metallica are the greatest band in the world. It's like, mate, they're not even the best band in the big four, let alone. <laughs> <laughs> like, in music. I think they could be, I think, I wonder how, like, how many albums came out in the 90s compared to the 70s. I think that was the heyday of manufactured music, was the 70s. Because if you, if, you, if you look at how many albums came out in, like, 1969 to 71, I'm sure it's an insane number. Yeah. Yeah. I think you might be right there. But next is, I think, 
this is going to be your um, Fandango in space. <laughs> <laughs> the blind guardians might fall in the middle of that. What did you think of the music? Because I think I've got an idea of what's coming. I like it. Oh, okay, cool. I actually really like Blind Guardian. Oh, Guardian? Yeah. Blind Guardian. Blind This is like my Siri only responding to me when I speak in a South African accent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw them play surprisingly at Hellfest. Um, and they, it was they played um, mirror mirror on the wall. Yeah, I love that song. Yeah. And every, like everyone was singing. And I was with I was with a bunch of people who absolutely adore Blind Guardian. So like their excitement kind of rubbed off on me, and I really enjoyed it. And like you know, Kiska's an, an incredible singer. Am I getting it right? It is Kiska. Right? Hansi Kush. Which one's Kiska? Halloween. <sighs> they're, they're friends, right? Yeah, they're, they're got tight. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they've both been guests on Avantasia, which is Tobias Sammet's big it. project. And is is Kush the one who's in Demons and Wizards? Correct. Was yes. Demons and Wizards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was Demons and Wizards. Something tells me. I don't know. Just a hunch. I don't think I the outfit is, uh, is no longer. Uh, I, I, I feel like Kush did say that he's not in it anymore. Yeah, yeah no, no. He he distanced himself. He was just like, yeah. I mean, I mean, why 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 wouldn't you? I mean, I mean like, yeah. Yeah. But Blind Guardian's music is, to be honest, I mean, Demons and Wizards is cool and all, like, and I enjoyed the music, but Blind Guardian, it was always very clearly a side project, you mm -hmm. know, like, I Surf's music and Blind Guardian's music was always, you know, kind of a lot more revered than the side project of mm -hmm. Demons and Wizards, you know, it was just nothing more than that, you know, sometimes side projects end up being better than the actual, you know, respective works of the artists involved, but, nah, I mean, so, no loss. Yeah, no loss. Um, but yeah, like musically, I really like the use of harmony. I like the use of layering. The drums are just energetic. The vocals are just so like bright. Yeah. There's so much like, so much brightness. It's it's perfect. I mean, this came out before the films, and yet it still really captured a lot of like imagery and color that not only ended up being in the films, but was in my mind when I read the books way before any of that stuff came out. Because I was, I think this came out around the times I was probably first reading them. Yeah. I was about seven or eight when I, and I think I read the submarine when I was like eight or nine. So I really kind of wish I discovered this back then because yeah. I would have been obsessed with it. And like just, I skimmed through the lyrics and I was like, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. I just recognized so many little bits and pieces. Yeah. And um, it was kind of nostalgic, even though I wouldn't, have I wouldn't have considered it nostalgic for me. Yeah. Because to me, it feels like only yesterday I was discovering for the first time. And I. I wrote my undergraduate dissertation on Lord of the Rings. So, <laughs> I kind of, I used to dig really deep into it and like kind of be known as a Lord of the Rings person, but for over the past few years, I've kind of gone more into like science fiction and yeah. kind of distanced myself a little bit from Tolkien because of um, certain politics and things like that. But I, I absolutely do not have any um, problem with anyone who enjoys Tolkien's work. I don't think there's a problem unless you're making a problem out of it. Although I think it's good to acknowledge that there are some problematic representations of um, colour and race in Tolkien's work, which if you are curious about, just message me and we can have a small internet argument about it, or you can go do some <laughs> reading, um, because it's very simple, and yeah, there's a, there's a lot to be said for it, there's so much work that's already been done on it, I don't need to rehash it, I don't think, unless, maybe I do, I don't know, who knows. Well, yes. Yeah, <laughs> anyway, we we both love Lord of the Rings, um, yeah, apart I'm from all that. I'm a big Tolkien fan, yeah, or Lord of the Rings fan. I, I, like, I like the world-building aspect, I think it's impressive, like the linguistic aspect. Um, like, Tolkien was a philologist and he was a professor of medieval studies, so you can see all of that coming through. 
Um, and even through Blind Guardian's work, you can feel that kind of medieval jester court vibe. Yeah. Well. Yeah. It's it's cool because like this is um, this album was kind of released uh, at quite a transitional period of the band's sort of career because you've got like slightly different as with many popular bands you've got different eras of the bands you know um, to begin with Blind Guardian were primarily more of like a speed sort of thrashy power metal band you know and, you know like, a lot of the music was quite rough around the edges and it was kind of you know like balls to the wall like and. They released Imaginations from the other side, which was kind of exploring, because he's got like this, Hans, he's got this conceptual story that he creates that kind of is interwoven for a couple of albums. Mm. And it's about this mirror. There's, I might get some of shit. mirrors. Like, yeah, the recent thing is a, it's like a red mirror or something? Yeah, that's their last well, proper album. They released an album that was kind of more like a symphonic, like a bit like a Metallica Lulu sort of thing. You know, it wasn't a real album. It was just more like an experiment. But yeah, so their last proper album was Beyond the Red Mirror which is connected to the earlier album, Imaginations from the Other Side, mm. and it's about like this fictional mirror that's a gateway into an alternate dimension, which houses every single... It's a bit like that South Park episode, you know, the one where they access that uh, land where all the fictional characters live, but they're all like... There's an ancient Greek concept called the Platonic Realm. Oh, shit. Yeah. That's so cool. I, this is, um, I, Plato had come up with this idea that there is a realm in which every imagined thing and like, for example, the blackness of black, the onus of yellow, um, you know, the, the lover you dreamed of in the night, not that you necessarily did, lives in this realm. Like the actual physical part of anything imagined is in this place. Yeah. So that's actually a super ancient thing. Sorry, I didn't mean to. I wouldn't be surprised if he was influenced or at least knew about that, because that is definitely the essence of his like story that's, that's kind of interwoven into a lot of the music. But um, I digress. The the Imaginations album was kind of at the beginning of them exploring like a more kind of orchestral and uh, kind of a symphonic approach to the music. So not as fast, a bit more mid-paced and a bit more like a bit more vibrant. There is a lot of colour in the music, a lot of major like you know mm. keys and stuff. It's very happy sounding music a lot of the time. Yeah. I just need to listen to Mirror Mirror. And <laughs> yeah. it's like, and so I remember watching um, somebody reacting it to once because I love reaction channels because you know, just just great way to kill time. <laughs> And someone was just like, ah, oh, shit, this sounds like a, this sounds like Disney metal. And I'm like, uh, I mean, I abhor that term, but like, I get where they were coming from. It is kind of like, I can yeah. see a Disney doing like a Fantasia Star Lord of the Rings video to this album. Yeah, totally. And it's, it's, it's cool, because it, it's funny, because um, the, uh, the original drummer who actually did drum on this album, he ended up leaving the band because he wasn't too, not I'm not sure if he wasn't too happy, but he wasn't on board with the idea that Blind Guardian was steering towards, um, you know, far more kind of, orchestral compositions and you know, it's, it's very musical theatre yeah. like a lot of time. This album is like kind of the beginning of it but you listen to some of the later albums there's a shit ton of synths which you're going to absolutely fucking love <laughs> um, but no like it's got you know, a lot of Queen influence as well it's, I think it's quite evident that they're big fans of Queen and you know and they've got like some sprawling 13 minute tracks. Do you think they're Andrew Lloyd Webber fans? I would I would think so yeah because it's you know it's just it's Battle got a real style like yeah yeah and it's funny because you know like a lot of <laughs> a lot of music we've reviewed here has been very like introspective and dealing with like the most kind of like fucked up topics and, yeah. yeah but like and i feel like this is just the complete opposite you know this is pure like music that you'd listen to to put yourself in a good mood mm. and and it's funny because like even a lot of tracks on this album because basically what the album is it's chronicling the events of the silmarillion yeah and it's more or less in chronological order from the beginning of the album so it opens with um well there's a lot of interludes which you can basically ignore because a lot of them are just like um, passages to the next actual track 
bits got uh, into the storm, which is basically about the Silmarils being stolen, and it you know covers. And it's funny because when you read the Silmarillion, it's not portrayed in the way that's like quite happy or jovial. It's so dark. Yeah. Yeah. Like, even the story of Hurin. So remember, Hurin was the one who was captured by Morgoth and forced to watch his family go through the most like fucking Greek tragedy. He's like shit. the Prometheus of Middle Earth, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And like, <laughs> and like, last track on the album. Um, is uh, one of the last tracks on the album is is about basically Hurin watching his entire family and his son and his daughter, you know, fall in love with each other because and it's just yeah, just crazy shit. It's so Greek. Like, isn't he like almost glued to the stone chair? Yeah. And he has to like really everything is like playing out in front of him. He knows that he can't do anything about it. Yeah. Yeah, because well, it, yeah, you're exactly right. Because it's Turin is um, he's he's uh, kind of got a uh, beef, so to speak, to quote the. Uh, Quote a bit of London vernacular with the dragon Glaurung and um, what Glaurung because what I find cool about Middle Earth is that the dragons in Middle Earth are actually very intelligent beings and they've actually their biggest weapon is actually their voice and their ability to uh, enchant people and that's exactly what the dragon does to his sister so he gets estranged from his sister when they're young and he ends up enchanting the sister and making her forget all her memories so that when they meet they have no knowledge of who they are and poor Hurin, their father, is forced to watch this, and he's only released once everybody is basically dead. And then he ends up climbing down from the chair and meeting his estranged wife, Nienor, I believe her name was. Nienor, she was one of my favorite. I used to name my computers after members of this. Oh, way. that's cool. And Nienor <laughs> was like one of my computers growing up. So that's just really That's cool. I would, I would have just presumed all your computers would be named Nina based on your. <laughs> Yeah. Everywhere I liked it so much. It's a narcissist. But yeah, they basically just reunited and just fucking died out of grief. Which yeah. is, yeah, but yeah, but, pretty typical. But yeah, so uh, my point being, like, it's funny because, like, Blind Guardian's music is quite happy and jovial. But I think you're right, like, because there's a lot of, when you watch the Lord of the Rings movies, there is, like, a lot of colour and a lot of, a real sense of homeliness, I think, especially with, like, the Hobbits and the Shire and stuff. This is like Tom Bombadil singing this album. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's a really good way of putting it, actually. And it's you know, and you could just tell that he's also a big fan of the um, big fan of the source material, and like it's yeah, he's really properly read it. Like some of the references, like when he talks about the grinding ice, like that's kind of like a kind of throwaway reference almost. But I know what he's talking about the the Helicarax, where yeah, that's it. And like that crossing is so brutal. Like so many people die, like fall into the ice, and it's like grinding around them, and like. The way it's described is so depressing. Like I still remember reading it for the first time, and it was like biblical, pretty much. Yeah, it's it's funny because it's actually conflicted in reports about um, the the Hel- the Helcaraxi, I believe it's pronounced. I think Thank you. Maybe not. I might be chatting shit. But because Galadriel's uh, story in Middle Earth is quite hotly contested, because there's no concrete information too much about Galadriel, because she kind of surfaces in Lord of the Rings, and I think Christopher retroactively, you know, tried to piece together some of her history in the Silmarillion. But they, uh, most accounts say that she crossed it mm. initially, but some accounts says she actually sailed with um, Celeborn earlier from the Bay of Alqualondi. But it's, uh, but yeah, it's like the way they recount the, the the crossing of the ice is pretty like you know like most of them die from the journey, and it's just you know super fucking brutal and cool and pretty metal actually. It's so like, is it when they come and they wander around lost in the forest for ages as well, or is that another time? Yeah, it's it's well, yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot of wandering. I mean, anyone who's so watched the movie, there's a lot yeah. of running and traversing there. Yeah. <laughs> running through woods with like beautiful velvet cloaks. Yeah, yeah. When, when you talk about the the dragons, that made me realise that Wormtongue is a reference to the dragons. 
Yes. Because his like worm mm. is the old word for dragon, and Tolkien was a philologist, and he has obviously the the word the language and magic have always even before this stuff been intertwined. Because when you say you spell a word, you're literally doing magic, right? And I think Tolkien was super aware of that. And like, shit, I'm so stupid. That is the first time I've ever clocked. What's <laughs> like, like spell is in like a magic spell, and spell is into actually spell words. That's mental. I've literally only just realised that. Alan Moore has a really cool like mini documentary about the power of language. Yeah. Um, and like that's why when you do magic, you incant and like you you cast a spell and like how the dragons use language to use their magic. Yeah. Like, that's really cool. I never fully um, clocked all of that. Yeah. Yeah, it's super cool. Um, have you got any particular tracks? You know, you mentioned Mirror Mirror. Mirror, was mirror. Like... Yeah, I, I, like when the first, like, it's one of, definitely my favourite track, it's the catchiest on the album. But I always, like, the first thing I said was, like, why Mirror? Like, I thought they were referring to the lake outside Minas Tirith or something. Not Minas Tirith, um, the mines of Moria, because, like, they call it, like, the, the, the lake is a mirror. Yeah, it's Mirror Mirror, I think it is, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but I didn't think it was anything to do with the Samaritan, so I was. I don't know. Um, I, he just really likes mirrors. I think it's the simple answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Probably, yeah. <laughs> it's a narrative device. Um, so yeah, I just I always wondered about that. It's, it is incredibly Disney. It's just super Snow it's, White. I think it's cool because, like, to be honest, um, I think Power Metal is quite often uh, much maligned by, um, say, fans of the more extreme or serious subgenres. And I think you know, because see. I feel like, I'm probably going to be a diplomatic way of putting this, I feel like Dragon Force has kind of influenced a lot of people's opinions on what power metal is or the limitations, like I think it's just, you know, nonsensical, just fucking complete, like, you know, just full of ridiculous technicality but it has no soul and just super, super happy and cheesy and all that shit. And that's why I've always been quite a fan, fan a fan, a fan <laughs> of Blind Guardian. Mm. It's because um, they have always kind of changed things up a bit and I feel like their music, you know, they they... It's a lot of it's quite mid-paced for power metal, and I think there's uh, they put a lot of thought in the composition and you know the guitars and stuff. It's just um, got some really like cool and interesting structures. Like maybe maybe wouldn't say progressive, but they're not they're they're not like a lot of other power metal bands. Is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I get you. Uh, they kind of like stand on their own. Whether it be Hansi's voice is very distinct. Like he's got a very unique timbre to his voice. Like yeah. Like you know you hear, you hear his voice cracking a lot even when he's singing and like he's and uh, he doesn't he there's some tracks he just doesn't perform live because he's that he's absolutely fucked his voice. I've heard, is it like acid reflux or something? I think it's quite common. I know David Draymond has it, but I vaguely remember, I can't remember who, but I remember someone in Power Metal. It might have been him or it might have been um, the other guy that I mentioned earlier. Kiska. Kiska. They had like super bad food poisoning and they threw up so much the acid corroded their throat. Oh bad. shit, yeah, I remember we talked about that at some point. Yeah. I can't remember who that I was. I remember someone who realised Power Metal. The thing is, I do, I've always known I liked it, but all I listened to was Man of War. For yeah. like 15 years. Yeah. Um, I, I, I used to really hardcore like Man War. I went to see them in Birmingham when they came back yeah. to the UK. But then they just kind of got kind of shit. And it, it kind of disappointed me. And I saw Blind Guardian playing. I was like, these guys are really good. But I never really actually actively listened to them. Yeah. But I, I've always known I'd love this album. Yeah. Because it's like Lord of the Rings and it's happy and cheerful. I've just not been in, I've been in a Black Sheep War movie for <laughs> five years yeah. basically. Power Metal does get a, rap, a bad rap for being quite one-dimensional, and I don't think like Blind Guardian are. I feel like Man of War, I feel, can be quite one-dimensional at times. Oh, 100%. Like, they like, do that. That's their thing they do, is be super yeah. one-dimensional. And it's cool, because there's some bands that can do that and be uber-successful. I mean, like, you know, like, 
your motorheads, your ACDCs, and you know, like, like that some bands have got have carved out that small niche and they're able to generate a massive amount of success from it. But like, for me personally, I always appreciate bands that are able to kind of like, you know, diversify a bit and kind of reach outside their comfort zone. And if you ever listen to any of Blind Guardian's latest stuff, it's that some people are avidly not fans of the late stuff because it's a bit too orchestral and stuff. But um, I think it's, I still think they've retained a lot of their core elements. And I think that's the thing for me, as long as a band retain what it is that made them a band in the first place. Mm. Whether, even if it's just the energy of the play, and I feel like that's enough for me to still want to, you know, follow a band yeah. and listen to them. I think it's just really good that metal isn't all just miserable people all the time. Yeah, it's just, but it's like going back to what I was saying before, that you're just in moods for certain types of music at certain points. Like, you know, if I want to, to completely chill out, I'll listen to some stone and metal, or if I want to, you know, if I'm in a good mood, then I will listen to fucking some Blind Guardian. You know what I mean? It's just, I think it's, uh, I think it's just understanding that, which is why I'm like always so adverse to rating things because I feel like it's if it's an album I've listened to only once and I'm not in the right frame of mind, I'm not going to appreciate it properly, mm. like so. But like I've always been a massive fan of this album and Blind Guardian. You know, I feel like uh, they're definitely the funny thing about Pal Metal as well. Try not to go off on too many tangents here is. Um, like, it's got a lot of, there's a lot of, like, pop-like construction in the music. Like, it's very, like, verse-chorus, verse-chorus heavy. Mm. And, like, in it's, I think, what I like about Blind Guardian is the songs are super catchy, and I think that's what helps make them kind of shine as a band, because it's not, like, overly cheesy. Like, it can be cheesy at times. But, like, say, Mirror Mirror, it's actually got a really catchy, like, you know, like, vocal hooks and verses and stuff. Yeah, I think, I think that was, like, food. Like you just, you, if you ate the same thing all the time, you wouldn't enjoy it anymore. No. And you like, it's just good to have a diverse, varied diet. Get all your food groups in, your food pyramid. You get your carbs. This is your cheese, your protein, and then like you just have your favourites and you go for them. I'm gonna stop with the metaphor because I'm killing it. I um, think it's interesting though. If you had to like rate genres as food groups, <laughs> power metal would be sugar, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> will be cheese though. Cheese. Well, what do I hate the most? <laughs> pirate yeah. metal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fucking pi pirate metal, yeah. I like some cheesy music. I mean, to me, this is cheesy music. That, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and cheese is delicious, so to me, power metal is cheese. Yeah. I feel like sugar would be sleeds. Yeah. Is that metal, though? I just hate Damn. that whole genre. <laughs> that I feel like thrash is beer. Yeah, thrash is 100% beer. That's 100% beer. <laughs> Um, Stoner is just weed, space cakes. 100%. It can't be anything else but <laughs> that weed. That food group, yes. Yeah. <laughs> that, 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 yeah, that infamous food group that everybody needs. Um, actually, fucking grindcore would probably be something like meth. Yeah. Or crack, some hard drug. I think hardcore would be a bowl of fruit. Yeah. That was really healthy in hardcore. Yeah, I can kind of see that. Yeah. Especially if you listen to hate fruit. Right. Because like, so, the lyrics are so, so positive. Yeah, there's like, it's like, you know, some oranges and bananas, some good citrus juice, like bright colours, that's hardcore. And they're often straight edged, so exactly. that, that checks out. Yeah. It does check out. You got, if you want to be hench, you have, have to have like, the occasional bit of fruit, you know? Yeah. yeah. Either that or steroids, because they're all well built as fuck. <laughs> Is that the food? Yeah, well, I mean, Can yeah. be. Yeah, for some people. <laughs> but, uh, what would you say your overall impression of the album in terms of uh, rating it would be? Oh man, I mean, I can't, I can't put a number on this very easily. I mean, I... Uh, I think I put like a seven point five. I think it's a very good album. I don't. I don't mean that to be harsh. I just think it's good. Yeah. I mean, I love the cover as well. I was talking to you. I like the references yeah. on the cover. Like I got it straight away. It's like Luthien seducing yeah. Melkor for the Silver Oils and like 
Uh, it's it's a weirdly underrepresented underrepresented bit of art. Yeah. From the Silmarillion. Yeah, it's the, the, it's interesting because like you, when you hear what was actually written about Luthien and stuff, she's portrayed as someone who is quite an empowering female character, I believe. Because you know, well, she's part gods to start with. Yeah, she's and sick. she and she fucking beats Sauron and is like super powerful. But then, you know, in comparison, like, there's barely anything really written about Arwen and Lord of the Rings. Yeah, right. It's like she's, uh, well, as far as I can remember anyway, like obviously she was given a more significant role in the movies, which I think, you know, it kind of made sense to a degree, but it, it did feel like it was just there to be the love story component. Right. Whereas that wasn't really prominent in the books. Like, you exactly, know, that was just a character. I mean, there aren't really many women books that do anything. Like, I think the woman with the most lines is Goldberry. She's Tom Bombadil's wife. No way. I think that. so. Yeah. I feel like that. Maybe, maybe what's her face? Um, I am no man. Um, oh, Eowyn. Eowyn. I can't believe I forgot her name. Terrible soup lady. To be fair, you, I think everybody gets a pass for forgetting Tolkien names because they're also fucking similar. <laughs> so similar. Yeah. Eowyn, son of Beowyn, daughter of Beowyn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> son Randor of Beowyn. Jowyn. Yeah. <laughs> Randor of Landor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that. Uh, also, like I was, I was picking out some lyrics, um, and in Into the Storm on the second track, which is the first like kind of melodic track that's not a dude talking, um, like it's quoting. I, I quote now: "Give it to me, I must have it. Precious treasure, I deserve it. Where can I run? How can I hide? The Silmarils, gems of tree light." And then yeah. I love how they're kind of comparing them to the rain, obviously the yeah. whole precious thing, and and then the gems of tree light, like the the trees of light and like. Yeah. I love that the artwork yeah. of those trees from the I don't know if you've seen like what's his name? Alan Hall? Alan I know exactly who you're talking about, I can't remember his name, but yeah, he's like a The guy infamous... he did all the famous Lord of the Rings artwork. Yeah. From like I think the eighties or whenever all that stuff came out. But there's so and then you have the two trees, all this beautiful starlight and like that's before everything was shit, basically. It's like yeah. the Garden of Eden version. Yeah. Things, if I remember correctly, it's been a long time since I read it, but yeah. yeah. It's super cool because he often does the lyrics from kind of like that first person narrative perspective, like because that's mm -hmm. all I'm gonna, it's, um, it's obviously from the perspective of Morgoth himself. Right, yeah. And obviously the track Curse of Feanor is about Feanor trying to claim his revenge against them. That was so stressful, yeah. that part of the song, right? Yeah. Feanor's such a dick. Yeah, it's just. A real prick. Oh, sh oh, sh oh. Yeah, they're getting fucked up by Balrogs though, so. <laughs> I was reading about Balrogs. They're like, there's, so, um, Tolkien, like, wrote a description of them looking like a man and then crossed it out and was like, don't describe them. And they were like really confused, like, there's, so no one actually knows what a Balrog really looks like. There's no true yeah. description of them. Yeah, because most of the artwork I've seen now is probably done after their depiction in the Lord of the Rings movie, which is quite a cool depiction to be fair. I think like, it's, I pretty, good. it's pretty fucking cool. I like, like the horns. Yeah. yeah. In, in the, the original description, I think it had like horns, look, had a body of a man and had a mane. And I think people interpreted that as like an animal's mane, but to me it's just like, that's just hair. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, when I, when I hear of a, a, the word mane, I think a head of hair, but yeah. as most people probably think a horse, I imagine. So. A Balrog with a horse head, that'd be cool. <laughs> Like Bojack, Balrog horseman. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that'd be really funny to be <laughs> Oh, shit. Um, and uh, I will say, though, it's uh, just on the topic of uh, Lord of the Rings quickly. I um, I just hope that they didn't butcher it for the uh, upcoming oh, my God. Amazon TV show. Some running TV series. I suppose, God, if it's, if it's anything like the fucking Hobbit narrative, I'm sure it's going to be less goofy, but if it's just like elves falling in love. 
I will be really annoyed. I... Elves barely have sex. That's literally in the Silmarillion. Yeah. They're just like they they don't they're not horny because they live forever. Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't be if you were like two thousand, several thousand years old, would you? Yeah, you just kind of get over it after a hundred years, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which begs the question: Do elves have elf Viagra? They eat like a weird leaf, and they're just like, oh, let's have a child. Which I highly, highly doubt that they do. That's another maybe. Potentially. <laughs> Sorry, I took it there, but that is a question that needs to be asked: Is the sexuality of those in Middle Earth? But I think we should we should move on to pupil slicer. Ooh, yeah, this was heavy as fuck. Such a heavy album. Yeah. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. I think um, it's. Uh, I was reading uh, a couple of the uh, interviews with the uh, vocalist Kate. And well, the whole band actually, but she was stating that you know that her, some of her biggest influences are uh, Converge and the uh, Dillinger Escape Plan. Yeah, I saw and that. you can totally hear it in the music. Like I think she even described it as like Converge Dillinger worship. But I'd say it's got its own sound. It's to me, it kind of sounds like a hybrid of that sort of like math metal style. And for ages, I never really referred to the term math metal because it just always sounded a bit kind of stupid to me. But I mean, it, but it applies. You know, it makes it sense. It does, yeah. But it's like that, uh, but like kind of hybridized with kind of like that death metal, death grind sound. And and when I read the interview, because I listened to the album a few times and I read read up a bit about the band, and it just totally made sense in my head because I was yeah. literally thinking this sounds like a death metal version of like Dillinger Escape Plan, or and I could totally hear like the Converge influence and even elements of Car Bomb and stuff at time totally. at times as well. But I thought it was a really I've got a lot of notes about the album I had made. But um, well, what did you think? I have many thoughts, uh, all good ones basically. I, I just really, I'm really impressed by Pupil Slicer. Like this, this album came out, there's so much um, hype around it. So when there's this much hype around an album, I'm usually just like, I, I go in carefully, but I listened to it and I was like, this is totally justified and it's so rare. Um, but these guys totally deserve to be successful. And it's a really impressive album. I, I did the same, I listened to it a few times. It's frantic, it's heavy, the vocals like are shrieky and like, the best way possible, you know, like you can tell everything is meant and um, I, I was really impressed by the way the album was written so um, Katie, her last name is Davies, the vocalist um, they're kind of a free piece by the looks of it the, the bassist is Luke Fabian and the drummer is Josh Andrews I went to school with someone called Josh Andrews but I'm pretty sure it's not the drummer um, Common name, I, I believe yeah. so Yeah, two, two first names is a pretty difficult name Josh Joshington Josh Joshington, <laughs> Josh Anderington. I don't know. I don't mean to bully Josh Andrews. I just think he has a cool name. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I know like they formed in 2016, which is very recently. Um, so it's super impressive in itself that they've got to just release this blistering album. And I think they had two, not four releases before this, if I remember correctly. Um, one thing I, I find really cool is that KT is kind of the driving force of the writing, which I think is so rare that you get the front person doing that. And as someone who's tried to do that, it's fucking difficult to yeah. like get a band to, to just execute your vision, especially um, if you've not done it before, especially if you're a woman. And she had like some relatable stuff of her life, like she was bullied when she was at school, she had to be homeschooled. Um, before she went to secondary school, like she got pulled out of primary school because yeah. she was bullied so bad, which is fucking horrible. Um, and it, it sounds like, I think I read that um, they have some autism as well, which in itself is like so difficult to grow up with. Mm. And then at 19 they got into metal, which is quite late. Um, and yeah, now it's quite late, yeah. And Katie's now 24, which I think is so impressive yeah. to have like, in such a short time, grow so much and do so much and be involved in the scene in this way. So 
so much kudos um, to Katie and everyone else, but it's just so cool that they supported her. And the thing that I really um, respected is that, so Katie did mathematics, mathematics at university, because um, that was their main interest. And the, for at least one of the songs, they use um, like a generator to generate a series of numbers. And that's how the song was structured. And they would kind oh, of, super cool. it's so cool. Like that's really interesting. And I really like that you can kind of hear like how the, the songs are constructed in a way that a song normally wouldn't be. And your mind, in a way that you would if you were like approaching maths, tries to kind of decode everything. Yeah. And I find that really interesting. And, I, and that wasn't the way everything was written, but apparently it was very difficult to write because she was trying to kind of apply math stuff to music in a very yeah. particular way. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, I mean, like, that's that's super cool about the whole maths thing. I didn't know that, about the whole sort of sequence being generated. Um, I loved more or less everything about the album. thought the vocal delivery was really good. Yeah. I thought, um, obviously, lyrically, it seems to be dealing with something that's a bit of a common thread here, like, you know, a lot of mental health issues and yeah. uh, introspection. Uh, one of the tracks that I thought was super cool was... The last track, Collective Unconscious. Yeah. And it was, uh, it seemed like the lyrics were kind of, uh, well, it seemed like it was referring to um, sort of uh, depression and disassociation. Mm. And one of the last sort of, one, one of the last lines sort of sung on the album is, I remember the time when, I remember the time when I knew how to cry. Aww. And then. <laughs> And the way it kind of played out was one of the things that I thought was super cool at certain points of the album, there's a couple of acoustic or more melodic passages that had almost like a DSBME style vocal style. It's that ghost bath kind of like wailing, like, you know, really like tormented sort of scream. And that's basically how the album ends. <laughs> and I thought it was like, you know, just super cool. And you know, the last track was good as well because I felt like it was, um, it was potentially a bit more melodic than the rest of the album because like you said it was quite frenzied a lot of the time there's like a lot going on it was chaotic um but i think what they had done a really good job with was implementing some some real solid melodies into some of the tracks one of the tracks had an outro that was very um it was the track uh, mirrors are more fun than television mm. had a really kind of cool post black metal almost deaf heavenly style sort of fade out riff and you know i just like I've mentioned it before, but I like the whole juxtaposition thing. I like when a band can kind of straddle the line between like absolute blistering intensity and like really kind of sorrowful melody. And I think this album does that at points. I mean, most of it is absolutely chaotic, but this, the, like I said, like with the last track, there's some points that I just thought were just really, uh, just really well done. And I was a big fan of the vocals. I think it's quite varied, quite varied delivery. Like there seemed to be some. Um, I think it's the uh, basic, the bassist Luke Fabian mm. was doing the the bulk of like the backup vocals, which were normally either death growls or like a more of a shouted hardcore style. But yeah, I just love like the range of between like there was just different layers of intensity and torment to the vocals. Like sometimes it'd be almost like crying mm. and wailing, other times it would be really shrieky and you know like frenzied. And that's just the sort of shit I dig. I just like that stuff. Kind of makes me feel alive. We've got to mention, um, there are three guest vocalists on this album, and on the first track we have a Serpent Temple alumnus, <laughs> Cam Shuck, who is an absolutely awesome human being, um, and he does vocals on the first track. And great vocalist himself, I must say. Yeah, Fantastic. He's a very versatile vocalist. Yeah, he, he is in Sufferer and Ancient Hatred, Ancient Hate, I always mix them up. Um, Hatred. Ancient Hatred. I was right the first time, I'm full of self-doubt, I do apologise. Um, yeah, like... 
that's really cool that he's on that album. Like, I just think it's it's just awesome to see his name on it and that he's doing his awesome badass thing on his awesome badass album. So that makes me super happy. Um, and yeah, you can check out this episode with us now that he's on People Slicer. Um, <laughs> it's a really good episode as well. My favorite track um, was Panic Defense. I don't know if you. I also really like Stabbing Stabbing Spiders as well. Um, that Stabbing Spiders is about like apparently self-inflicted pain, but Panic Defense. Um, I don't know if you guys recognize the term, but it's a legal defense strategy. Oh, okay. No, I was in the way. So um, the the track is about. Um, how the US legal system has treated gay and trans people. And the panic defense is um, basically a justification of murdering gay and trans people because people, um, I'm gonna read it because I wanted to make sure I, I did this properly because I don't want to mess this up. Oh, it's actually, it's really important. So it's a legal strategy in which a defendant claims they acted in a state of violent temporary insanity, committing insult assault or murder because of unwanted same-sex sexual advances. A defendant may allege to have found the same-sex sexual advances so offensive or frightening they were provoked into reacting and were acting in self-defense and were of a diminished capa capacity or were temporarily insane and that this circumstance is exculpatory or mitigating. So like that's a whole bunch of bullshit basically. Yeah. Well, that's a bit like that motherfucker that murdered those Asian women, and and, exactly. and the reporting was, oh, what, what, what possessed him? Oh no, the, I what? had a bad day. Yeah, a bad day. Yeah, had a bad day. Yeah, it's like, like the fuck. What the fuck. Yeah. yeah. But like, this is this is even more fucked up because it's it's just for gay people and for trans that's messed people. Up. And like, um, so the black metal murders. It was this. The dude was like, it's panic. He cited oh, panic. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, th that's what he said. He, like, I mean. He used the panic defense, but the I think he admitted that what was it? Uranus? What was his fucking name? The guy who murdered Faust. Faust. Well, the Faust <laughs> murdered the guy that's gay. Yeah, and what was uh, his name? He was a random guy. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uranus was murdered by um, Varg. Everyone's murdering everybody. That's right. We'll watch, watch lots of chaos and that'll refresh our memories. I, I've just not listened to Black Metal for so long that I've just forgotten all this bullshit yeah. drama. But basically, Faust, I think, pretty much admitted that he said he tried to lead the gay guy on because he wanted to find out what it's like to murder someone, but knew he could use the panic defense to get away with it. That's fucked up. So, like, that's, that's how fucked up this law is and the fact that people, like, it's still a law in America. I don't know if it's the same in Norway. But yeah, this is the fact that it, like someone should find it so offensive that someone's hitting on them that they just murder them because yeah. they're insane from the terror of of a, a man or a woman being attracted to them. It's just insane. I mean, women aren't allowed to murder men that like rape them or follow them in the street or hit on them, even though it's no. fucking terrifying. But like, God forbid, someone hit on you. Yeah, no, it's so fucked up. So I think some women can claim during okay. certain periods of the month, oh. particular periods, that they can get away with something because they were hormonal. Oh, um, bear that in mind. But yeah. <laughs> yeah so. But no, yeah, it's, no, it's super fucked up. That was a good track, actually. That was one of the shorter ones, right? Because yeah. I've noticed that on this album, there's quite a few just like short, I was trying to, I was trying to think, I'm going to say short and sharp. So I'm gonna, <laughs> Don't I'm mess it fuck up. This up. <laughs> There's quite a few short, sharp bursts of just like musical <laughs> intensity, which is like a bit of a converge thing to do as well. And uh, Jane Doe's got a few tracks that are just like a, like a massive fucking 
blister in the soul. Mm -hmm. And I think that's another thing I think is quite cool about the album. You know, there's, most of the tracks are under uh, four minutes. There's a couple of six minute tracks. And they're often the ones that have the more melodic passages, which makes complete sense. Because mm -hmm. this isn't the style of music that you can drag out to a five minute plus track no. without just being completely, um, having complete sensory overload. Yeah, also you'd be really tired if you're playing it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is going to be amazing live. Yeah, it's, it's funny actually, because um, I don't think they've done much live shows and she was, um, I think somebody was asking them uh, a question about um, how they found the recording process and, and uh, Kate, the vocalist, was saying um, that they had done, they had to only track about two tracks at a time because she would just completely blur out her voice. Damn. She put so much effort into it, she's so got to try and find a way to kind of, you know, preserve it when doing tours. I mean, that's one of the things I imagine that's kind of shit about doing Probably long haul tours. Tours really bad for your voice. Uh, that's yeah. what happened to like the Visigoth singer. Like his voice was just by the end, he was just like, "Yeah, sh I'm, I'm shot." I know professional opera singers who've gone on tour and then they can never sing again. Really? Yeah, it's, it's a legit thing. You've got to be really careful. Yeah. 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 Good excuse just not to tour, I suppose. Isn't it? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I like the idea of it, but also the idea of doing back to back shows is just horrific. Especially yeah, like drinking and smoking and doing things like that, it's just yeah. so bad for you. I feel like it would kill a lot of the fun of it, kind of make it feel more like work as opposed to something that's, you know... Mm. But I don't know, but that's just me, I suppose a lot of people like the kind of road lifestyle. Some people love it, some people hate it. Yeah. Yeah. When I get car sick, so I know I fucking hate it, especially over in America. I've heard a lot of musicians complain about sleeping in the nightliners. Apparently it's really horrible because they've got to drive in the night and apparently on the bunk bed and you're bumping up and down and the person above you is farting and snoring and there's feet <laughs> smell and the toilet's blocked. Well, that's what I've heard anyway. I've, I've not done that. Same for me as well, like not to sound too morbid, but I'd be fucking absolutely terrified of like getting in like a fucking highway accident and stuff. It's common. Like a band's like, I mean, Cliff Burton. Decapitated ghosts inside. I mean, so many. Baroness people... almost broke up because of the. Oh really? I well, they had that. a really bad bus accident. I think in the UK. Oh shit. Um, and like the bus, I think fell off a bridge. The picture of it is scary. And I think after that, um, what's his face was like really scared, like really wary of playing shows and touring. I don't blame them. It's like really traumatizing. Yeah, no, that's fucked. But no. Um... What was another track that caught my attention? <laughs> uh, Husk was a great track, yeah. but conventionally, I think that was the most kind of metallic track on the album. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of kind of grindcore sort of influences as well as like you know the more mathcore side of things. But uh, this track kind of stuck out with me because it had like the um, the opening riff was very kind of almost thrashy, you know, and um, had a great like sort of one thing this album does very well is I love the kind of groovy mosh of all sections. It's got some yeah. really good like super groovy chugging like parts to a lot of the tracks, you know, which is good because, you know, like I couldn't listen to three minutes of completely dizzying riffs, but I can listen to, say, a minute and a half of that and then a, a really fucking brutal, like, harmonic breakdown. Like, I'm all about that. Mm, it is really varied. Like, it's chaotic, but there's also definitely an underlying structure. And I think if you, I think with a few, al a few listens to this album, I think I'll understand it a lot more and it'll, it won't feel as chaotic. It's, yeah, it's, I think what also adds to the chaos is this is a band that's kind of done something that's a bit of a common trope in a lot of uh, the newer metal bands or heavy music bands and it's, there's quite a lot of um, electronic 
influences, like mm. whether it be like kind of like that whole digital manipulation with some of the riffs and stuff. Yeah. Like Cold Orange do it quite a lot on their new album. Yeah. Which I don't know if you've listened to, but it's actually a really fucking good album. I mean, Carbon, they're the PPU. I know it's Carbon or Botch. They do. They use the laser noises. Oh, Carbon definitely has. I like, love that. Lazy, yeah, I love the laser sick. noises. It's so good. Yeah. But there's one track that has it, and it's it's the the French track, which is the French word for Cold of the Void. I'm not going to try and butcher the French. Butcher the French. Yeah. <laughs> the French language. <laughs> Sorry. The French. <laughs> Freudian slip. <laughs> Freudian slip. Freudian there slip. we go. <laughs> but that has actually quite a synthy electronic outro, which I thought was actually kind of cool because, mm. like, the whole track is about the call of the void, which is um, I'm sure you're aware of what the call of the void is. I have felt it myself. Yeah, so have I. It's weird because you don't even need to be suicidal to feel it. Yeah, you're, you're just like, like, oh, what if I threw myself from this yeah, train? What so would happen? Ooh, that's yeah. probably one of the main reasons I don't use the fucking underground because I just think to myself, what if just a bizarre moment of just lack of, yeah, just complete fucking nihilism, thinking, oh, I might just, I might just jump in front of this. I have a lot of cliffs. But this, yeah. when I went, we went on holiday and there's this cliff in Sardinia and if you go on it, you literally, you're just like, oh, I could die here. It'd be brilliant. Yeah. And you just look at the scene and you're like, <laughs> yeah, but, we don't we don't encourage any of this, by the way. Yeah, we, we very bad secret. <laughs> we don't encourage uh, bringing on the feelings of Call of the Void by uh, standing at the edge of uh, large cliffs. Instead, call your therapist if yeah. you, know, you start feeling that. But I think some of it is vaguely human and, and understandable. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the point I was going to make was uh, the kind of the synthy uh, electronic outro, which I, I thought was kind of cool because it kind of reminded me of that's what the void would kind of sound like. That's cool. In a weird sort of way, because yeah. you know, it's just kind of like dissonant and kind of not connected to life anymore. Nice. So cause I always think of electronic music as being the sort of music that doesn't have too much soul, if yeah. that makes sense. So, that's nah, super cool. And there is actually a really good band called Call of the Void as well, by the way. They're like huh. an American, pretty sure they're American, kind of like sludgy, sort of grindy bands. They're pretty sick. Once the Wheel of Time series comes out, there's going to be so many Void related bands, because that's like. The main character like occupies the void when he's going to like battle mode. Is 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 Tanalorn from Wheel of Time? No, that's a Michael Moorcock reference. Oh, shit, yeah, that's it's that Blind Guardian thing. Cause I love that. Yeah, because they got um, a song called Tanalorn into the void. It's really it's really catchy that song as well. Yeah. They performed that and I went mental because Michael Moorcock used to be in Hawkwind. Yeah. And he is a fan is a fantasy writer and he he wrote um a, like basically if I, I read it years ago. There's this guy, um, I think he's like Cindy. There's these people and they have like this dream and the dream, like the amount of people in that race alive to dream the dream, that's the reality. But yeah. then this other, like, this other species like invades the reality and kills the dream and the dream yeah. is dying. And I think Tanalon is like disappearing and he's like searching for Tanalon. Okay, cool. If, I, I might have butchered it, but it's really good. And there's like characters in his books called like Lemmy and things yeah. like that. And like really weird, surreal moments and things. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. That's cool. Especially because Lemmy was also a member of Hogan. Indeed yeah. he was. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, See, I always used to think Michael Moorcock was the guy that wrote Wheel of Time. I must have just got confused at some point. That's uh, Robert Jordan that wrote the Wheel of Time. But yeah. Blind Guardian do actually have a song called Wheel of Time as well. It's like a, a, a 10 minute fucking epic. I mean, <laughs> Wheel of Time is is like 16 books long. Each book is just under a thousand pages. Like yeah. the shortest one I have is like five, six hundred pages long. So. Yeah, fucking that's pretty long. Yeah. But yeah, I think uh, the, the sort of void being referred to here is one not connected to the uh, realm of fantasy, more than actual. I think the more connected void. to the realm of uh, depressingly brutal reality. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> but there's, um, but yeah, the, the pad defense actually, that has one of my favorite uh, vocal moments. I think it's the last uh, scream of the album. Just sounds like someone's being like garroted and just. Well, sounds... I mean. Yeah, well, yeah, that's fucking probably what happens to a lot of victims of the uh, people that are using the this pad defense. defense and, yeah. yeah. I had no idea that's what it was. Okay. I thought that was worth talking about. It's really interesting. I like that. Um, the way they're kind of talking about all this like mental health and and current like because panic the panic defense is so current and I think I think it's like so much fucking murder and horrifyingly prejudiced shit going on at the moment so I think yeah. it's really cool that they're addressing that and they're not like trying to hide behind. Well, that's it's always been the thing though. Uh, people from a privileged position have always been the ones that can get away with things like murder, you know, mm -hmm. really, and that's that's been a common thread in our society since we've been inhabiting this planet, you know, and um, yeah, and it just it just that sort of uh, lyrical inspiration just is just fits perfectly with the sort of music that's on that's been laid down by people slicer here. Um, yeah, I just I want to say as well, like I think the uh, the bass and the drum work is super impressive because I think one thing because you were saying that it was kind of Kate's vision to have like the more mathematical sort of foundations and it's super impressive that the bass and the drum work and the rhythm section are able to kind of still Do keep that. that net around that sort of frenzied approach. Like obviously the band work very well in tandem together to sort of make the sounds coherent. So it could be, I, I could only imagine how easy it would be for this to sound like a complete fucking mess. Yeah. Okay. And yet it doesn't. The, the, these guys must be like super, like, good at their shit and talented to be able to do this. So like, when I said it was chaotic, it was absolutely not um, a diss. Like, yeah. I think it's, this album is sick. I'm really certain this is going to be a lot, on a lot of end of year lists. I think this yeah. is going to be the, the, the album of the year for a lot of people. I reckon so. And you know what, it's great, it's always here new music. I don't know if the guys themselves are based in London, but I mean, it's labelled as being a London band. And it's, mm. and it's funny, because like, you know, whether it be through, you know, more known bands, whether it be Aka Cocker or even Voices who did an album about London, you know, it's always so good to hear music which might be inspired or influenced by this fucking... Hellhole. Yeah, yeah, this oxymoron of a city that is yeah. equal parts immense wealth and crushing poverty, you know. I think the duality of that, and it's evident in most parts of London, you know, and I think it's a, it's a great, great place to grow up and be a fan of heavy music. It's the perfect place to be into metal because it's so brutal and you have all that juxtaposition and contrast. It's like, it's not hard not to be angry sometimes living yeah. here. Yeah. I mean, just, just get on the tube once and it's hard not to be angry. And, <laughs> like, and I can't stand the tube. But, um, yeah. And it's just, I just can't believe some people actually are, are craving a form of routine life again, which involves traveling into London or through London to get to an office. I and mean, that's just my worst fucking nightmare. When I worked in the city, I was commuting 20 hours a week. It's too much. That's a whole day. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. I just, no, I, I saw someone die on a train, like people doing all sorts of horrifying things. It's, it's, it's definitely one of those cities where you don't, have, you see four seasons in a day, but you literally see people dying like doing drug overdoses on your train home in the afternoon in broad daylight and you also see, you know, people giving birth so a friend of mine saw someone shitting in a bin outside McDonald's once yeah um, but <laughs> do you think that's okay. called, do you think that's called their, that's because their bathroom was closed? well, <laughs> I remember, I, I still remember reading this status apparently she ran out of McDonald's and she was sobbing and saying I'm so I feel really bad saying this story but she's, she kept saying I'm so sorry and then she crawled she kind of climbed on top of a bin and, and just like had a horrible bowel movement in the middle of the street 
Yeah. That's really sad. Yeah. Yeah. But hey, sometimes those moments just come at you when you least expect <laughs> That's it. That's life. You know, sometimes you shit yourself. I know my favourite experience in uh, McDonald's was, um, no, tell a lie, it was actually the KFC. Mm. It was one, one of the ones around the West End where they um, they have security on the doors because they're near loads of clubs so they get super rowdy. Yeah. And Chef was like, he's about to lose his mind. <laughs> Chef's just sitting like this. <laughs> but <laughs> it was, his hands. This, was, this is such a fucking green text story, by the way. It is true. But it's one of those ones you read online and then it's just like, and it always ends with, oh, and everybody claps. Yeah, the balls <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. but it's fucking, I went there. My, I want to go to McDonald's and my friends want to go to KFC. So I was like, okay, well, I'll go to McDonald's and I'm coming to KFC. So I bought McDonald's, went to the KFC, the one in Piccadilly Circus, which is now Shake Shack. Nice. Um, Piccadilly, Leicester Square. I was getting fucking confused. Not like I've lived in London for three decades. <laughs> um, and the security door was just like, oh no, you can't come in unless you, unless you buy something. So he's obviously seen I had McDonald's back in my hands. I was like, oh, well, I mean, well, why not all my friends are upstairs? I'm just going to, they've already bought, like, meals from here. So, no, no, you need to buy something from here to sit in here. So I was like, okay, that's fine. So he followed me to the counter. He followed you? Yeah, and watched me. I said, no, I'll buy something. And I think he thought I was bullshitting. So oh I went God. to the counter. I was like, excuse me, um, how much is your barbecue sauce? I was like, oh, it's 20 pence. I was like, okay, I'll have one barbecue sauce sachet, please. I was like, there you go, I bought something. Did you keep the receipt? <laughs> no, I didn't, but it was uh, That's amazing. the only time in my life I've ever outsmarted anyone. <laughs> <laughs> that is a brilliant way to end the podcast, I think. Yeah, I think so. Do you have anything to say, Shan? Oh, what do you think of the album? Yeah. Oh, uh, I'm... It's good. Yeah, it's, it's good. I like it. No, it's good. Like, it's, it's really good. I haven't really bonded with it yet, I think. Um, I she think... means you'll love something. Yeah, that's it. That's yeah. it. I tend to find that I don't, like, get things straight away when I end up loving them. But, like, when I grew up, I was listening to loads of, like, yeah, obviously, like, Botch and, like, um... Come on. Yeah, like, Dead Guy. I'm just trying to think about all the more kind of crazy technical bands, you know, that do that kind Sleepy of hardcore stuff. Sleepy Time Gorilla Museum. Yeah, like all just kind of, yeah. Imagine the Iron Dissonance in parts. Yeah, Iron Dissonance, yeah, yeah, it's got like shades of stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've, I've never been like big on like grunge. You know what? I was saying this to Nina the other day. I feel like if I was five years younger, I would have gone absolutely batshit for this album. But now the world has just like beaten me down. I'm so tired and weary. I don't have the energy for it. So. I get what you mean. <laughs> this album is for younger people. Yes, it's the, for like the, people the, aged between like sixteen the, to twenty-five, and it's perfect. Yes, the impetuous. That, it's really good. Relentless like, energy of yeah. youth. Yeah, absolutely. I think I, I agree. If I was like a teenager and listened to this, it would blow my mind to smithereens, and I'd be really like foaming at the mouth. See, so yeah, that's album. that's it. It's not that yeah. I don't love it and think it's amazing. It's just that I kind of hear We're just it. Really and tired just, and sad. Yeah, I just hear it and I just think like, oh god, like I wish the world wasn't such a sad place. Like, <laughs> like oh, yeah, I, I, I get know. exactly what you mean. I think we're very fatigued from like the news cycle <laughs> for the last two years. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but I think yeah, no, it's, it's a cracking album it's and uh, they seem like really cool people and I'm sure I'll get into it 100 percent like at some point. Well, that's quite a natural thing though, isn't it? Like especially if you listen to like like super heavy music, you get to an age which so whether it be 30 or for me it was probably like late 20s where so I just it's like I just don't really want to listen to like hyper hyper aggressive no, music it all makes the time. Me tired. No, yeah, it's, it's not just that because I was talking to you about this the other day. Like, I can't stand slow music now. Like I can't stand if I listen to like a lot of the like a lot of like kind of more 
a funeral doom or no, because I love like because for me like funeral doom is like it's like you love stuff. Paradise Lost though it's yeah but they're mid paced I'm, like, I'm yeah, really into I'm into the middle right now like okay. death is very mid paced it's technical it's not, okay, it yeah. speeds up and slows down but it's not breakneck pace it's not stupid you know why because the drums are fast but the guitars aren't fast yeah, yeah. I, I'm really into this like this like this thing that backwards I mean, and forwards kind yeah. of play between like tempos and stuff like that yeah. That's right, you've got to give credit to both Thoreau. I think they kind of make mid-paced fucking metals fucking cool. They make mid-paced feel fast? Yeah. I mean, this is not mid-paced. This is, for the most part, this is breakneck, fucking dizzy and chaotic. Yeah. Or or I mean them as highly positive and praising superlatives. Yeah, this is, this is like, fucking good album. Yeah. I'm going to look forward to see, I don't know why I shouted so loud. <laughs> but um, I'm gonna look forward to seeing uh, how their career progresses. So they, like, they, well. they, they yeah. seem quite young as well, so you know it's a good time to kind of start and angry and fucking. I can see them going to Roadburn, fitting in at Bloodstock, fitting in at Download. Like these guys, I think are, are gonna have a good trajectory. Yeah, Damnation as well. So oh, down a fucking storm. I mean, they get. 100%. Yeah. I would be surprised if they're booked for this year's Damnation, honestly, because yeah. they're UK as well, and they they have like what five or six more bands to out, so. Yeah, I think so, yeah, so five more bands last I checked. I'd, go, I'd put one Bitcoin on um, Pupil Slicer. Cool. You know what, um, I think, do you think Pupil Slicer is a, a reference, is it David Lynch that have that, that short film where someone's getting a scalpel and cutting open a cow's eye? Oh, it's possible, but I do remember, because I actually, I, I can't remember, but I think uh, I ended up following their Facebook page, like, yonks ago, Pupil Slicer, and they shared, there's a picture from a Jinji Ito comic. Oh, and there's okay. the really famous one, I can't remember if it's Tomi or the famous one, but there's basically a whole series of Jun- Junji Ito comics, they're like a Japanese horror artist. Yeah, it's cool. And um, he basically, there's a whole series which is based on like terrifying stories based around spirals, which sounds ridiculous. That but sounds nice. Quite- That's very nice. Yeah, it's very, like pupil slice, and I'm pretty sure there's like, uh, there's a very similar you know, kind of to what you referenced there, I'm pretty sure there's a Junji Ito comic that they posted a picture of one of the panels from mm. as well. I wonder if that was influenced by that film. If it was that film, Definitely. that was like one of the first like body horror. Mm. Yeah, films. 100%. Yeah. yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I just cringe with anything to do with eyeballs. I don't know, I just find it really, oh, I don't know. And it's one of those phobia of eyeballs. Yeah. Yeah. That's weird. It is, but I, I can't understand why. Yeah, yeah I, I kind of get that. Maybe it's connected to that, what's that phobia of all the little holes, is it tryptophobia? Oh, I hate that. Yeah, yeah it's, I it's... never had it until I saw the picture of it, and then I got freaked <laughs> I was out. Like, yeah, it. yeah, I do not like this. Yeah, it's uncomfortable to look at. Yeah. Ooh, well, whenever I think of Pupil Slice, I just think of, uh, do you remember that band, kind of like a new thrash band, Prong? Had that big hit, snap, snap your fingers, fingers, snap your neck. neck. But one of their album covers was like an, an eyeball like hanging out of some dude's head and it just always made me feel, ugh. It's the thin with the fucking... The, the stringy bit. Yeah, and yeah. it's just like, ugh, it just makes me cringe. Apparently but, when that happens you can still see uh, where the heart is. Because someone was talking to me about that happening to someone they knew and they were like, yeah, they could still see with their eye and it like, your brain is getting both images at the same time and it's confusing because you've got like you can see around corners though. You can. <laughs> yeah. It's like the eye child. <laughs> yeah, from the eye. Oh, nice full circle. Hey. <laughs> nice. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, feel free to like and subscribe. Uh, tune in next week. We've got some cool stuff coming your way. Recommend us some albums. Let us know what we should look at and what we should not. Um, and yeah, we will appreciate your feedback. Thank you for listening. Until next time. <laughs>